Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? That'll be great. You know, it's wonderful to worship the Lord. Yeah? Yeah? yeah. Wonderful. I was just checking. I was, I'm not sure if they believe what they just did. You know? No, I'm just joking. It was a wonderful time of worship. Really, really it was. We have Greg Haswell with us this morning. And um, I just want to speak to you a little bit about him. Um, he's a, for those of you who don't know him, who of you have seen Greg here before? You raise your hand. So, yeah, quite a lot haven't. And um, Greg and Michelle Haswell. Michelle, unfortunately, couldn't make it this time. She is a wonderful prophet. She is a scary person. <laughs> when she comes around, you know, I'm always like, oh, boy, she's going to see right through me. No, she's, she's a wonderful, wonderful lady. And um, in actual fact, at one time I was down at a conference that Greg and Michelle were leading, and the Lord begins to speak to me in the meeting about a clock. And he says, draw this clock. And, uh, and he was wanting to release something over the people, and he said, there's a timing in me. So I drew the clock and everything, and the time that the Lord was showing me, and she stood up. You remember, she stood up, and she says, Lord's speaking to me, and I see this picture of a clock, and it's this time, and, and, and so I just, and I held it up, and she goes, no ways. So I said, yeah, I saw the same thing. And uh, it was just wonderful, and just growing and learning from them, and we've known them since we were well, we're still young to some of you, but since we were young, and uh, we used to lead youth here, and uh, we took our youth conference down there, I don't know how long, 12, 13 years ago, and, uh, and Jen and I were leading, and there's just always believed in us and empowered us and spoken truth and life and love over us, and so when he started to come up here, it was just wonderful, and uh, someone who was, I said this to the leaders yesterday, because he's been with us the weekend, it's not always you get the privilege of someone who mentors you and someone who you look up to that eventually actually becomes your friend and treats you like a friend, doesn't treat you like the kid you were, yeah? And uh, so it's just wonderful. It's wonderful to have you with us, Greg. And uh, so he's a senior pastor of Northlands Church. He, um, he's been leading there how many years? 21 years, planted that church. And uh, he's the chairman of the Global Leadership Council of World Without Orphans, which is in 85 countries. And he's written a bunch of books, uh, Pulling the King's Carriage is one, Finally Rest in God is another one about Sabbath, and uh, he just has a unique gifting and anointing to connect with uh, world influencers. Um, I don't know if any of you know Leif Hetland and Shayon, and just some of the guys that he connects with, so it's just, it'd be wonderful to have him. And the reason I say that is, I'm not, it's not flattery, it's, it's actually very important for God's people for the church to remember something that is very clear in the New Testament. The Bible says that if you honor a prophet as a prophet, you receive the prophet's reward. Hello. Yeah. And, you know, this is an apostolic man, and you get groups of people that say, our oh, apostles aren't for today, and I'm not even going to try to cover that. We'll teach on that soon. They are, yeah, apostles and prophets, very alive today. You'll never have apostles that are eyewitnesses of the Lord's resurrection that wrote, and you never have those again, and you never have the prophets of the Old Testament that prophesied and Scripture was written. You never have those. But apostles and prophets are absolutely for today. Absolutely for today. And um, I see this man as one of those. And I'd encourage you to open your heart, and you can trust him. For those of you who don't know him, you can, you can trust him. And it's so important. And I, I learned this years ago in traveling, and when I used to travel, do more travel, and different churches, for those who had 
in a sense, well-prepared the people and actually stood up and said, this is a good person, this is a good man, you can trust him. It's like the people open their hearts and they receive the reward, the anointing that the person carries. But when they said, like, hmm, let's check him out, I find the impact is less, not because of the person, but because they weren't well prepared to receive this person for what they carry. Yeah? Hello? Yeah. This is in the Bible. So I just want to encourage you. Can we open our hearts? And you can trust him. They're wonderful people. We've known them a very, very long time. He has a gift, an anointing to teach and to preach. And so, Greg, why don't you come? Yeah, We'd love to have you. Thanks for coming. It's yeah. been great to have you. Why don't we give him a hand just to honor And uh, you can prophesy as much as you want. Just don't send any of the elders to another country just yet. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's do that. Can I pray for you? Yeah, please do. Father, we thank you for this man. It's a friend of mine. But more importantly, a friend of yours. And we thank you that he is Christ-exalted man. He loves to exalt you, Jesus, and not himself. And we bless him and his wife, who's not with us, his daughter and his grandchild. And we just bless this family. And we thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Uh, it's great to be with you, as usual. Um, very excited to see uh, what the Lord is doing in terms of growth. Uh, I'm going to be even more excited when he doubles this and doubles it again. And uh, this just means that if you're in a season of explosive growth, that you can't be stingy about your chair. Is that fair? So if somebody comes and you see they're sitting in your chair, then you just bless God for them and say, that's great, I'm going to go find another chair. We've been in seasons of growth where we took over another church, there were 65 people when we came at the end of the next year, we were 365. And the original 65 were going, who are all these new people in our church? And I said, actually there's more of them than you, so it's actually their church. Amen. Right? So when you're in a season of growth, the new people, just make a little room in your heart for them and celebrate them because God's about to do some beautiful things. My wife sent a word to you. Um, this is a, I married up. I'm like Clayton, I married up. You know, it's like that thing. Yeah. I think my wife does see right through you. That's why she likes you. I think that's probably it. But she had a word, she had a word, she's been praying obviously for you and she had a word for the church and she sent it to me last night and I, I, I said, man, I, I want to read this. I, um, so this is what she, she felt like the Lord said. She said, I see the Lord smile over you every time you meet. Every time you place an expectation on him to move. As you've pressed into and trusted him for more, he waits with expectation to hear what you're going to ask, what you're longing to see. With some, the Lord hopes that they will think bigger and realize that he longs to demonstrate his goodness. If they would but ask and see beyond the natural, but with you, it's no longer if you will, but rather, what are they going to ask of me today? The goodness that he has stored up for you will continue to flow as long as you expect it to. And as you worship, I saw large waves rising at the back of the church and then breaking as they neared the front. And as they receded back, there was treasure on the ground that, that they brought in. And I saw gold coins and vials of oil, and the coins had different words on them, such as peace and faith and wisdom. On many, there was the word wisdom. And I believe this is a season to operate in the supernatural wisdom of the Holy Spirit. You ask him what your next move should be, how you should handle various situations, and he will give you very practical, God-given wisdom. 
I think these aha moments will come many times during worship. Things you're wrestling with will fall into place and become clear as these waves of his presence bring his wisdom. The vials of oil among these coins speak to the ongoing flow of an anointing to heal that will become what you are known for. Unbelievers will start to bring their sick because of the testimonies of healing that will be heard. Praise God. It's going to be very cool. The reason the Lord tells you something ahead of time is so that when it happens, you go, that's God. Otherwise, you're tempted to think it was you. Like we did, look at us. Look how wonderful we are. And so I, I continually walk into the promises of God and go, thank you, Jesus. Look at you. I'm settled in my heart that the Bible teaches that one day, uh, when, we're, when we're all before the Lord and he unravels the books on our life and you all are going to get to see my life, I think this is going to be a day Jesus is going to bring me up and he's going to unravel my life and we're all going to stay. And, and it's the Bible teaches in that day, you're going to marvel at the unlimited patience of God. Because you're going to look at me and go, man, you were stubborn. Jesus, how kind you were to him. That's what's going to happen. Because every time we see the dealings of God in somebody's life, we're just going to fall down and worship because he's been that good, that kind, that amazing, that gentle. So today I want to preach a message entitled Understanding God's Process. It's a message with a bit of meat in it. It's a message for some grown-ups. I don't mind that it may not hit everybody in the church. It may not be a message in season for everyone. Listen to it again in a few years' time. But this is a message for the mature. It is a call to explain some things about the way God deals with our life. God works in process over our lives. Uh, for some years now, the Lord has been talking to me about this thing. I just finished a book. It's in the, with the printers now called Pulling the King's Carriage. Because the Lord began to speak to me about it. In, in Europe, there's a particular breed of horse, the thoroughbred, that is, that is bred to pull the carriages of royalty. And it's, it's, it's very unique. It's a unique breed. And they, they train that horse because it looks great. It has pulling power. It's, it works together in team. And they have to take those horses and they have to put them, enroll them in a training process in order to be able to usher in the presence of the king. And in your life and in mine, we can live our lives um, in such a way because being born a thoroughbred, just being born into the kingdom is a beautiful thing. You are a thoroughbred. You have royalty in your blood. But if you want to be somebody who ushers in the presence of God, you have to undergo some training. So birthright alone is not enough to pull the king's carriage. So they enroll the horses in a process of training. They put them in traces, and the horse has to learn how to run with arched neck and you know that funny way that horses do. And the horses hate it, and they kick against the traces. And the horses that consistently kick against the traces and won't run like that, I don't want to run like this, if, if they keep kicking in, they keep kicking, and eventually what they do is they take the traces, they pull the horse, they release it into the king's paddock, and it lives a beautiful life full of the richness of the king's blessing, but it never gets the privilege of ushering in the presence of the king. You're born to royalty. How you respond to God's process of training 
will determine how deep you can pull the king's carriage. Am I talking to anyone yet? They have to train those horses. There is a bearing. There is a way that horse needs to be. Because you no longer represent yourself. You're not a horse out roaming free. You're now a horse that pulls the king's carriage. Everything you do, every way you walk, you are bearing the king's carriage. And those horses typically have pole marks on the side and the marks of the traces. They bear on their bodies the marks of the call. They don't look as nice as a horse who's roamed the paddock. The, the horse that roams the paddock wild and free doesn't have any of the trace marks on it. It doesn't have any of the scars from the battles that, that were necessary to pull the king's carriage. It is, it is free. It looks great, but, the, but the, the horses that pull the king's carriage oftentimes march with a little limp. They've learned a bearing. They have been taught how to step into their new selves. They also have to teach them not to respond to any voice but the one. Paparazzi Crowds cheering, all other voices shouted at them, people trying to feed them, people trying to grab their traces. These horses are trained to not respond to any of that, but to listen to the voice of one master. You cannot pull a king's carriage if you have a heart that wants to listen to every other voice. Am I preaching to anyone yet? They have to learn to work in team. Because you don't pull the king's carriage alone. And some of the independent horses who bite and snap and kick at the other horses, if they keep doing that, eventually they're unhooked from the traces, led into the paddock. Oh, there's apple trees, there's beautiful shed, there's places to run. Oh, they, they have a rich and healthy and wonderful life, but they never get the honor to usher in the presence of God. So I want to talk to you today just about understanding a process that God enrolls everybody into. And if you don't understand the process, you'll kick against the training. If you kick against the training too long, the, the kindness of God will continue on your life. But the thing that you were born to do, you may fall short of. And I don't want anybody to fall short of what Jesus created you for. Let's throw out some basic ideas so that we just clear in our heads and we're all together on the same page. If we're going to start to understand God's process, let me just lay down some things. Number one, it is God's dream for us that guides his dealings with us. God's dream for us guides his dealings with us. Let me, let me, let me tell you this. There's a, there's a scripture... Uh, God dreams a great dream for you. He cannot wait for you to walk in all that he has dreamed for you. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, Psalm 139 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. When God had you in mind, he had something prepared and advanced for you to do. And so Ephesians 1 says, You are God's... So, when God knitted you together in your mother's womb, he, he looked forward to everything that he had dreamed for you. Everything that he has purposed. He goes, man, and he dreams a good dream. God's not a stingy dreamer. He, there's a giant of a God in you. He dreams great dreams for you. 
And so God dreamed a dream for your life. And so when he was knitting you together in your mother's womb, he saw what he wanted you to accomplish. And so he began to build into you giftings and abilities, the raw materials for you to accomplish that. So God has been building this dream, the, the raw materials, and his dream for you now guides how he deals with you. Am I talking to anyone? You look like strange. Do you understand this? So, so it's the dream of God that guides how he deals with your life. He's dealing with you because he had a dream for you. Not because he hates you. Not because there's sin in your life or you need to sign up, you ugly thing. No, God's going, come here, come here. Ah, I love what I... God, God is passionately delighted about how he's created you. He's going, come here, come here. Well, I don't know why God is treating me like this. Because he's, he's got a dream for you. He's like, come on. At our swimming pool at our neighborhood, there's this little, little guy, little two, three-year-old boy, and he's standing at the side of the pool, and his dad's in the pool. Can jump. That's what in South Africa we call a chokrki. Little, little guy. And he, he wants to jump, but he's scared. <laughs> About six times. <laughs> his dad's going, come on, jump. You just want to pull me into that water because you want to drown me. <laughs> just saying, if you don't understand what's going on, like me as an adult, I'm looking at that, I'm going, I guarantee you that little guy is going to dive in there. Then he's going to figure out how much fun that is. Then you're going to have to watch him like a hawk because he's just going to run and dive. And God's dream for you means that he calls you, he offers, he invites you, he, he provokes you to challenge but if you don't understand the process of God, God's just challenging me. He hates me. God's called you ever further into his dream for your life. And when he puts you into training, it's not because he wants to do, do you harm. It's because he wants you to walk into your dream. You take the training wheels off a bicycle, it's likely that at some stage your kid is going to fall down and graze their knee. Does it make you a bad parent? At some stage you go, you can do it, just don't let go. I'll be right next to you. And you let go and then they go, and they, no, don't leave. Because they figured out I can do it. If you understand this, you understand that God is committed to working in us what is necessary to sustain his work through us. I feel like I'm not connecting. Is this making sense? God is committed to working in you what is necessary to sustain his work through you. And it is his previent purpose, the stuff that he decided beforehand, that he will not abandon. Because the gifting and the calling of God are irrevocable. God never forgets the dream. And according to the dream he had for you, he called you. He doesn't forget that ever. He's working in line with you, in line with the purpose and calling of your life. God, will enrolls, God enrolls everybody he wants to use in a developmental process. Because you're in Christ, you are enrolled. 
God enrolls everybody he wants to use in a developmental process. And if you miss that, if you don't understand that, religion will give you 400 reasons why what is going on in your life right now is bad. And it's not bad. Nothing could be further from the truth. All right, so we've got that concept. Second concept I want you to get. God's delight in you motivates his discipline of you. His dream regulates how he, he deals with you. His delight regulates how he disciplines you. Hebrews 12. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you've completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Now, I'm just going to jump ahead, and there's a couple more, but I don't have time to read it all. That was quoted from Proverbs 3, and the Proverbs 3 scripture says, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son that he delights in. If you're a father who absolutely delights in your son, how do you discipline him? Come here, come here, come here, buddy. Come on, no, no, come here. Hold, hold it tight. Buddy, love you. That's not what we do. That badly misrepresents a family. We don't do that as a family. You got it? Yeah, just don't do that ever again, okay? Okay. God's discipline is because of his delight, according to the scriptures. It's the delight of God in you that regulates his discipline of you. He's not disciplining you because you're an evil person. He's disciplining you because he delights in you. The delight of God in us orders his discipline of us, and as a father, the son, that he delights. So let's just recap. God's dream guides his dealings. God's delight motivates his discipline. And in that context, if you understand that everybody that says yes to Jesus gets enrolled in this process, God is committed to working in you, what is going to sustain his work through you? So so if you, if you understand that and you're on the same page with me, then you go. Then the word in Hebrews 12 is applicable to you and to me. There are two extremes, he says. Given the fact that you know this is the process that's going on, there are two extremes to avoid. Don't make light of the process and don't lose heart because of the process. <laughs> Keep calm. Recognize you're in a developmental process. Recognize that it's not motivated by God trying to get you. It's motivated by God trying to launch you into every good thing that he's planned for you. God is passionate about teaching you how to win. He wants to give you the gift of personal victory. All over Revelations. To the one who overcomes, I will give the right. This little boy standing on the side of the pool, the dad is not, is not urging him to dive into the pool outside, outside, you know, without a context. Dad is right there to catch him. Dad is going to host him and teach him and train him until at such time as he doesn't need his water wings and he doesn't need dad there. Dad is going to train him and eventually he becomes somebody who dives in and out, swims lengths, goes everywhere. It's a thing of beauty. 
my father, when I was about five or six years old, uh, my sister, I had a sister who got more energy than space in her body. She was, just, she was just one of those people who breathes up all the air in the room. And she was two years older than me. And I, I just followed, you know, I was like, that, that was... And she was like, I, I want to swim across Olympic pool. And my dad said, okay, let's do it. And I was about five years old. And 50 meters looked like a long way when you're five. And so he said, but we, we're going to go. So we, we dived in and we started swimming. And I was about a quarter of the way and I got tired. I got, Dad, what's going on? He said, just, well, just float. I was like, okay. And then we, we swam a little more and then we swam. And eventually I swam across the Olympic pool. And I was like, I can swim. <laughs> Parents live in this tension. You want to protect your kids from all harm and hurt. But you also want to see your kids learn to be victorious in the world. Yeah. And the only way to get them from, because from, I, could, I could cloister my kids in cotton wool and never let them know, no, nobody's going to come near you, my little angel. You know what that creates? Little spoiled brat who can't handle anything. And this is the horrible part of parenting nobody teaches you about. You go, you need to face a few things. You need to deal with some stuff. I hate the fact that you have to deal with it. But you have to deal with it. Because if you're going to be a whole, settled, not driven by the culture, not driven by whatever happens. I remember we said our daughter went off to college at age 18. Lived in a dorm. We had no, you know, she had her own transport. But, but I was so confident in who she had become. Girls in the dorm were sleeping around. They were throwing parties. She was like, yeah, I'm out. Don't bring, don't bring those guys here. Out. Go somewhere else. Because something had been established. That was not the first time she had faced that reality. She'd had to face it a lot earlier. She faced it with us standing around. I'll never forget the first time we were in a movie. PG-13 movie that was actually should have been rated R. And we're sitting with my 13-year-old daughter and there's stuff going on there that I... The first two times my wife and I walked out of the movie with my daughter. The third time I said to my wife, I'm going to tie you down to the chair and we're going to go through this movie together with her and we're going to have a discussion afterwards about what we saw. Because if we just rush out every time there's some language or some sex scene that we don't like, we're going to have, we're going to, have to leave this world. Are you tracking with me? I hate the fact that I have to do this with my 13-year-old, but we sat through a movie and then we sat with her afterwards and we talked about the philosophy behind this and the, the value system that was being portrayed there and the language that was used and the sexual uh, freedom that, that was anti-biblical. And she was like, yeah, that's wrong. Something had to be developed and it came by resistance training. She had to learn to resist. Parents live with this tension. If you're a parent, you understand exactly what I'm saying. I want to protect, but I also want to give my child the gift of personal victory. And the only way they get to the gift of personal victory is they have to fight and overcome. Because when they fight and overcome, then they are an overcomer. You're not a truthful person until you've had an opportunity, a very good reason to lie and didn't then we can call you truthful. Until then, you're just untested. Make sense? 
It's easy to be truthful when, when truth is the only option available. But suddenly, you stand to lose a whole bunch if you tell the truth. And you decide to tell the truth anyway. That's a truthful person. A lot of people untested with a lot of theory. Those people don't get to pull the king's carriage. Birthright alone is not enough. You have to go through some training. So the pain of watching our children struggle is eclipsed by the joy of watching them overcome. Right? Because their souls become filled with a satisfaction and a confidence that can spring from no other source. I could tell my daughter all day long, you're great. But when she faced a great giant and then she killed it, she goes, I'm a giant killer. I go, yes, you are. And it didn't come because dad, because dad, dad, you're always saying nice things about me. I go, yeah, but now look, you just killed a giant. You're standing on the neck of a giant. What have I been telling you all these years? You're a giant killer. Something happens right there in your spirit when you actually overcome. And God is jealous for each one of you for personal victory. He wants you not just to know you're victorious in Christ. He desires for you to know victory in truth. So when you've strived and overcome the encouragement that is established by that agreement, what I've been telling you and what you've proven to be true becomes true in a new way and you can't beat that. Makes you wonder what victories await you on the other side of your fear and insecurity. Our Heavenly Father has these two in perfect balance. Wants to protect you, wants you to win. And He's got them in balance. He desires to give you the gift of perfect victory, but He always will never let you go beyond what you can bear. That's His promise. I'll, there'll never be anything you go through. I won't be right there with you, and I'll never let you go beyond what you can handle. Isn't that what He said? Now go to it. God hates me. That's why there's so much pressure in my life. I want to go up there where the eagles fly. I want to, I want to live there. God says, the Holy Spirit watches your heart and he goes, you are, I'm going up there. He goes, absolutely. I'm going to partner with you. To live up there... You need that much perseverance. You need that much faith. You need that much courage. So he goes, you want to go up there? Yeah. Then he, he starts to work that much perseverance in you. You know how he does it? All hell breaks loose. <laughs> if you don't mind the expression. You're facing pressure. You go, what happened? I was, we were in a moment of intimacy. I was so sweet in the church. The anointing. And I said, Jesus, you can have it all. And he said, great. Next thing, boom. <laughs> so if you don't understand, you can be disheartened by that. Some people in this, I'll tell you, there's some people sitting in this place who are disheartened by what's going on in your life right now when actually you should be massively complimented. Because God is treating you like somebody he esteems, like a child he delights in. God is treating you like a beloved heir. He wants to confer kingdom on you. And in order to confer kingdom on you, he has to do what he's doing in you right now. 
And some of you are going, he hates me. It's because of the sin in my... I was exposed to my great uncle's card trick. That's why. No, none of that. <laughs> so here's the process. I don't know, how much time do we have? Okay, here's the process. God wants to teach you a lesson. Just like a teacher in a class. Okay, here's the lesson. And then in order to see how the lesson has gone down, there's a pop quiz. The pop quiz shows how you are. The pop quiz is for your perception more than for his. Okay? The tests serve as markers of progress and reminders of his love. Let me say that again. I keep, I keep dropping things and you go, yeah, that's fine. But you need to know this. God will teach you a lesson. There is power, there is warfare in our praise. When we praise, God uses our praise to beat up on the devil. For that scripture, it says, with, 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 a, with every stroke the Lord lays against your enemy will be the sound of your harps and your worship. You go, woo, what a great lesson. Hallelujah. I'm going to worship God. And while I worship God, so the Lord goes, okay, so you got the lesson. Yeah. I beat your enemies up. And you praise me. I go, okay, I got it. Tomorrow, enemies everywhere. I go, what's going on? It was yesterday I taught you the lesson. You know what to do now. I just taught you yesterday. Pop quiz. Uh, uh, I'm supposed to praise now? Some of you missed that entirely. Then you have to come back and repeat the lesson. Uh, okay, okay, class, come together. Remember when I said, don't lose heart in the process. If you hear nothing else in this message, just hear that. Don't lose heart in the process. Pop quiz is not there to hurt you or to show up your weakness. It's there to show you that you haven't learned the lesson yet. So this is exactly what God did with Israel in the desert. <laughs> Deuteronomy 8. He says, remember, the Lord your God led you all this way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. God gave you a test to reveal your heart. That's what he said. I'm not making this up. God gave you tests to reveal your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you and he caused you to hunger. Then he fed you with manna. Which neither you nor your ancestors known. Why did he do this? To teach you. That man doesn't live by bread alone. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. God brings two million people out of. They've been slaves for the last 400 years. He brings them out into the desert. He, he, he goes, alright everybody. Give me your attention. Because now they're all, they're all wealthy. They've plundered Egypt. They're all thinking, oh this is a party. He goes, okay, okay. Everyone's attention. Listen. Come here. You follow this pillar of cloud. Okay. Okay. Straight out into the desert. There's no water out there. There's no food out there. Maybe he's going to turn. We're going to, like two hours, and then we're going to cut left to the water source. Straight out into the desert. 
three days in, they've eaten everything they can. They're looking at the dogs now. You know, they, they're looking hungrily. God says, I, I, I brought you to this test to teach you. Because I, I can't wander around with you people all doing your own thing. I want everybody in the place looking at me. Okay, everybody's attention. Watch here. This is an easy thing for me. Here's some bread of angels. Why don't you eat them that? Here's some quail. I, I, I brought you this way. I put you into this process to test your hearts because I wanted to teach you this lesson. You guys really need to listen to everything that comes out of my mouth. I don't want you doing your own thing. Every word that comes out of my mouth, that's how you'll be fed. Got it? Somehow we got it in our minds. We can tune in occasionally to what the Lord is saying. The rest of the time we can live our thing. We can do our thing. In the New Testament, Paul says the same thing. This is the same process God uses. You'll be tried and equipped to bring the gospel. Paul says, you'll be, you'll be tested and trained so that I can entrust the gospel to you. It means that God has tested us. That Dokemadzo uh, is the Greek word, which means something that has been put to the test and the test has been completed. Paul says, Thessalonians, we speak as men approved who've been put to the test and have passed. That's the Greek word there. We speak as men approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, comma, who tests our hearts. God never tests your heart. Oh, absolutely, he's going to test your heart. He's going to teach you something. Then he's going to give you a pop quiz. I hate pop quizzes. So let's just talk a little bit about the three lessons God wants to teach you. Basically, if you're, going to pull the, if you're going to be a horse that ushers in the presence of God, if you want to pull the king's carriage, three basic lessons, we don't have time, three basic lessons you must learn. And there's at least three tests which we don't have time to get into for everyone. Number one, you have to embrace your new identity. You cannot walk into the call of God in your old identity. If you're going to carry the king's carriage, you have to embrace your new identity. You cannot come into Christ and then act like you're outside of Christ. You cannot, you cannot think like you used to outside of Christ. You cannot have your heart like it used to. You cannot allow the fears you used to have. If you're going to come into Christ and be somebody who ushers in his presence, you have to be deliberate about embracing the new you. Paul says, surely they taught you this. Just surely they taught you this. To put off your old self. To be made new in the attitude of your mind and to embrace the new self. I mean, like, like I, you guys don't know much, but surely they started here. This is basic. You have to throw away the old. You have to be renewed in your mind and you have to embrace the new. You cannot walk into the new place, into the calling of God, into the forward things of God and still have the old about you. Change must come. And so any form of old in you will be challenged. God uses a bunch of tests. The test of obscurity will sort a lot of this out. The test of fame will sort it out. Test of treasure. Ooh. 
The second thing you absolutely have to learn, we're going to talk just briefly on some of those if we have time. If you, if you really want to learn, you have to learn to listen to his voice. You have to embrace your new identity. You have to learn to listen to one voice. God will give you the test of audience, the test of focus, test of desire. There's this really cool story in my book. Right near the end of the, the trials, they, they, all the trainees are running out now, and they run out with a king into, into a field, and then he says to all the trainers, okay, release the horses. And they're all standing around. It's a hot day. They're all standing in the shade. And the king walks out into the center of the field, and he sits down. And he just hangs out. And one of the horses, the hero of the story, goes, I wonder what would happen if I just walked up to the king. So he does. And when he walks up to the king, the king turns around and smiles and says, I was hoping you'd come. And he realizes this is a test too. One of the most subtle tests, one of the most subtle tests is the test of desire. You're as close to to Jesus as you want to be. Don't have time to talk about that. Third, Third thing you need to learn is to work in team. And there's a couple of tests there. There's a test of the harnessed, test of perspective. I'm going to jump into this. Let's, let's talk about the lesson, which is to embrace your new nature. The test, let's talk about the test of obscurity. Oh, I love the test of obscurity. Most of us in our spirits know the size and the scope of what God has called us to. You know why I know this? Because you're Your spirit is constantly testifying to you about the dream of God for your life. Because the Holy Spirit is constantly whispering to your spirit, this is what I have for you. That's why most believers sit in church and go, there is more in God for me. I know there's more in God for me. I can promise you there's more in God for you. Because your spirit will testify that. That inner testimony, and, and, and it goes, this is where we're going. Now some people, because they don't have a clear picture of what God's called us to, start to allow selfish ambition to drive that. Some people have heard prophets who haven't prophesied according to their faith, they've prophesied beyond their faith. And some people who've wanted to just curry your favor, and so they flattered you. Some of that can get mixed up in what the real testimony of your spirit is. And people who start to follow that... How many of you know that Jesus never came to, to, to win a crowd? It was never Jesus' purpose to get a big crowd. Jesus came to usher in a kingdom. He wasn't interested in the crowd. Crowds actually got in the way of the kingdom. So he dismissed them. Drink my blood and eat my flesh, otherwise they have nothing to do with me. And well, you don't like this guy. Bye. Jesus didn't come... To win a crowd, he came to establish a kingdom. You've got to get clear in your head about what God's trying to do. If you allow selfish ambition, if you have unbroken success in ministry, in anything for that matter, in business, everything you touch turns to gold. Then you start to look at other business people who are not as successful and you go, Clearly, they're not as gifted. And I had 15 years of unbroken success in ministry. Everything I touched, I'll breathe life on. And I used to look at other pastors who went, these churches weren't as big, and I'd go, something wrong with them. Not as devoted to the Lord as I am. Never said that out loud, of course. But you can't drink constantly at, at this, the cup of success, because that's, that's 98% proof alcohol. You can't keep sipping at that chalice and not get it and keep a sober view of yourself. 
get a little drunken view of yourself. And God's antidote to a drunken view of yourself is the test of obscurity. Because he takes you and he puts you in obscurity. Elijah. There will be no rain in this country except if I say so. Because of your sin. Walks out. What do you want me to do, Lord? Shall I go and proclaim, uproot a kingdom? Do you want me to launch a king? Do you want me to release the next prophet? He goes, no. I want you to go to the brook, Zarephath. Uh-huh. There's a company of prophets there. No, just you. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach. No, just you. But you're going to download Revelation? No, just, just hang there. Well, what do I do there? Ravens will bring roadkill and it'll be fine. <laughs> For a year and a half. And he watches the brook dry up. Because he prophesied it's gonna, there's going to be, and now here it's happening. Now there's no more water. He goes, now, 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 now's the release, right, Lord? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I want you to go to Zarephath. There's a widow there. And I want you to take her last little piece of bread. No, no. But the elders of the city are going to meet me. No. Joseph. You all are going to bow down to me. The Lord has shown it to me in a dream. Next thing, he's in a pit looking up at them. <laughs> then he's a slave. Then he's a rapist in the deepest dungeon. David. Anointed to be king. 13 years. When he writes the psalm, everybody hates me. They, they cross the road. They're all plotting to take my life. I have no friends. You want to step into your identity, but you allow other things to help you formulate that identity, God will give you the test of obscurity. Why? Because he wants to show you your heart. And I went through a test of obscurity. The Lord said, go and plant a church. I planted the church, and he said to me, ten times, he said, ten times through different prophets, don't worry about the size. I'm taking time with the foundations. I hated that prophetic word. I was like, I don't want to take time with foundations. I want to build a 5,000-seater church. Lord, guys, I'm happy for you. What I want you to do is learn how to be a father. What I want you to do is come to the lonely places and hear revelation that I haven't given anyone else. What I want you to do is to be quiet long enough that the, the, your own light, the, the glory of your stage lights dims and you begin to see yourself for who you really are. And let me talk to you about you. And all of that happens in obscurity and I can't put you out in the spotlight because you'll start drinking, your own, you'll start reading your own press agent. I need you here in obscurity. Hello. Some of you feel like you're in obscurity and you're kicking against the traces. When you should be understanding what God's trying to do is teach you how to step into your new identity. See, I told you this is for a few people in here, not for everyone. So there's some people in here, I'm changing your life. The lesson is you need to step into who I called you to be. The test or one of them, is obscurity. Nobody celebrates you. No one's, my phone's not ringing off the hook. Nobody's going, you're amazing. Everyone's going, you know, why do you do it like that? I think this is a much better way. I'm not on the top of the mountain, I'm in the bottom of the pit. By God's design. 
And you know what? I'm working harder than I ever did. I'm praying more than I ever did. I'm walking in integrity better than I ever have. And I'm seeing less fruit than I ever have. For decades. Took me a long time. And I got to a place after 12 years of obscurity where I went to the Lord in truth and I said, Lord, if you ever choose to use me on any national or international platform again, that is entirely your choice. I exist for your good pleasure. You don't exist for mine. I exist. All things are created by you and for you. I exist for you. You tell me what you want. I will be happy. I exist for you. It took 12 years of obscurity for me. Not to get it up here, but to get it in my bones, in my heart. Why? Because God needs that in my heart for what his dream requires of me. Because if that's not in my heart and God takes me where he wants me to be, I'm going to be so puffed up with arrogance, I'm going to start hurting people. God is committed to developing in you what is necessary for him to perform his work through you. And you can't shortchange the process. I know this is not the sexiest word in town. This is not all wonderful, wonderful. But I'm telling you it's truth. Number two. Do we have time? You sure? Because we're late now. Bunch of scriptures. Oh, we don't have time. Uh, Paul said, if, if I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Remember, remember, remember Saul is, is king and David kills Goliath and they sing. Saul is slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands and he's knotted up. Why? You can already see it going wrong in Saul's heart because he, he didn't go through a process to earn the kingdom. David, however, goes through a 17-year process of this stuff so that when he comes into the kingdom, he's humble. The first thing he does is bring the presence of God in. It's not like, hey, I'm here. I got it. He goes, we bring the ark. Let's get God in the city. The second lesson, you need to learn to listen to his voice. God will give you the test of audience. Oh, I love this. I serve for an audience of one. I, I want the applause of Jesus. It doesn't matter to me if the rest of you are applauding and he's sitting in the middle not applauding. What a tragedy that would be. And if everybody else is silent but he's giving me a standing ovation, I'm like, <laughs> yes. Because I, I serve for an audience of one. I seek his smile. I want his commendation. And it wasn't always like that for me. So the Lord had to teach me, listen, son, I want you to listen to one voice. But there's a wise voice. That guy's really good. That guy's got some ideas. He goes, son, I want you to listen to my voice. And the only way he can prove that is he asks me to do something that looks stupid in their eyes. Hello? John 5. How can you believe if, if you accept praise from one another? Yet you make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. This was, a, this was a, a problem of the Pharisees. They had stopped trying to seek God's praise and they were trying to seek one another's praise. Okay, so, so what do you think? What do you think? It's irrelevant. Otherwise we become a self-congratulatory society. Well, I think you're wonderful. I think you're wonderful. 
It has no authority to it in the kingdom. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have the authority to bring the presence of God in. The presence of God doesn't come on that stuff. The presence of God comes because we're listening to his voice. It may seem like it's an innocuous test, but I'm telling you, it's one you're going to have to pass if you want to pull the king's carriage. It's a fairly common test that God will employ. John 12. At the same time, there were many among the leaders who believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't confess their faith for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise from men more than the praise from God. You want to pull the king's carriage? You have to get cured of this disease. Isaiah 8. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me. Do not fear what these people fear and do not... uh, don't follow the way of this people. Don't call conspiracy what they cons- The Lord Almighty is the one that you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. If there are ten voices speaking and one of them is the Lord, I'm going to say to every other, shh, shh, what are you saying, my father? I'm going to do that. That thing has to be in you. Not casually. That has to be a deliberate. I don't care what anybody else says. What are you saying, father? I'm, I'm there. Well, I don't like that. Sounds like a personal problem. My father told me to go here. That's what Jesus said. The world, I love my father. And the world must learn. I do whatever he tells me. This, this thing is why Moses wasn't allowed to lead the people in. He said, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the people, you're not going to lead them anymore. Moses failed this test. Moses he was, he was so enamored with it. He was so ticked with the people. He lost his head. He lost his cool for a minute. And he was like, I'm going to show you, you ugly bunch. And God said, I want you to speak to the rock. He was like, I'm going to show you. He went up and struck the rock. And God said, okay, well done. Water still flowed. God said, there's a great paddock for you here, Moses. It's going to be wonderful. But you don't get to walk in to what I promised because you would not listen to my voice. Lesson three. I have so much more to say, but we don't have time. Lesson three, if you want to work in team, is, is that you have to learn to work in team. And God will give you the test of the harness. He's going to put a harness on you, and he's going to harness you to people that you don't think are as strong as you. Test of the harness. He's going to put you in harness, in lockstep. Shine up. Go a little faster. Come on. I want to shine. I want to look good. There's a little horse next to you. And so I have to make the choice that if I can surrender and gain the benefits of team, I'm going to lose some of my individual recognition. Do I go for that or do I press for personal fame at the expense of the synergy of the team? You cannot pull the king's carriage alone. It's too heavy for you. It needs a team to usher in the presence of God. So if you don't play well with team, you're not going to be somebody who does that regularly. My wife. My wife is one of the clearest um, prophetic governmental voices into churches that I've ever seen anywhere. You know when she brings a word in our church, she still comes up to one of the elders. Whoever the elder on duty is leading, she goes, I feel like I have a word. She does that because she respects the eldership. Because she understands the value of team. 
There's not a single elder on the team that hears like that woman does. She still submits it to them. Because we understand. If you want to be this kind of person, you have to work together in team. It's only in team that you and I are going to be recognized accurately. Because it's only in team that my strengths show up against other people's needs and my weaknesses show up against other people's strengths. It's only in team that I don't just see my own gifting, I begin to see other people's gifting. And I go, praise God for you. Could you, yeah. Because I'm, I'm good at this, but I'm really bad at that. So I'm just going to, you, you're good at this, so come, stick with me. When we, when we try to accomplish this without accepting our role in team, we just end up comparing ourselves to other people in an adversarial role. It's a kingdom principle that those who serve well will bear the marks of that service. And you're promised a victorious succession. You're not promised protection from every scratch. Not everybody in the victory procession is unbandaged. As part of our service, we embrace a loss of freedoms. Where others may, I may not. I'm perfectly free to do that, but it would hinder the team, so I don't do that. Paul bear in his body the consequences of his particular call. Those who were, ushered in, who were going to usher the presence of the king in the early church were all aware that they were bond servants of Jesus Christ. And if anybody wants to bear the, the king's presence, you eventually are going to know the harness of his call. Service is part of the call of God, and it's not just service on center stage, in front of the spotlights, with the applauding crowd. Most of the time, it's washing dirty feet in a secret borrowed room. Because Jesus said, the servant's not above his master. And if this is the way I had to act, it's going to have to be the way you have to act. People go, I want to follow Jesus into the ministry. And in their mind, it's miracles and crowds. And in Jesus' minds, it's dirty feet in borrowed rooms. He goes, amen, come. What's going on? God hates me. No, he's engaged you in his calling. I don't know anybody who's accepted God's call who's not marked by it. Some people want to get out scot-free. Like it doesn't cost anything. It'll cost you everything. Every single thing. There's a kind of brokenness to them. There's a limp. It's fueled by some true humility. They're able to bring their considerable strength and use it in service of other people of lesser capacity. They've wrestled with God. And they bear a limp for the rest of their life. But man, there's authority on them. Times with the Lord personally is the key to helping you with this. Let me close with these verses. Romans 15.1 We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Well, I, 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 these weak people are holding me back. No, these weak people are the very thing that are going to help you cross the line with a whole bunch of people together. 
Some of us think it's an individual race when the trophy is awarded to the team that crosses the line first. Broke the, where's your team? Are oh, they back there? Okay, well, we'll wait for them. Trophies awarded to the team. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. In my experience, the people who don't want to bear with other people have their own stage lights turned up a little too bright. They can't see their own weaknesses. Just dim your lights a little. Just switch off your own gifting just for a second. It'll help your vision. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let me close with this. God has enrolled you in a developmental process. Not because he hates you, but precisely because he delights in you. And his dream for you, his dream for you, keeps him awake. You know, the slumbers nor sleeps. I think it's because he dreams for you. He's, he's so excited about what he dreamed for you. He's so excited for the purposes and the plans he has for you. Plans to prosper you and to bless you. Plans to usher his kingdom in through you. Plans to make royalty out of you. God the Father said to Jesus, I have a plan. Because what, what is it, Father? He says, I want to make an eternal bride for you. Because that's a great plan. He said, you're going to have to create her. You're going to create all things. And then you're going to create mankind. And out of every tribe and tongue and nation, together I'm going to fashion for you an eternal bride. She's going to take your breath away, Jesus. Jesus said, that is such a cool idea, Dad. And he began to turn around, said, let there be light, and began to create what is necessary to sustain the bride. And the bride, out of every tribe, tongue, and nation, is going to be that beauty that captivates his heart for eternity. God's dream is not a small one for you. It's massive, glorious, and eternal. And because that's true, he's committed to working in you as fast as he can to get you there. You can get there kicking and screaming. You can get there running and rejoicing. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that a revelation of your delight and of your dream would settle in this place. It's your dream, Lord, that, that causes your dealings. It's your delight that brings forth your discipline. Never let, never let your dream and your delight out of our sight. And for some people, Lord, who've taken the pop quiz and felt like they failed and it's all over, I thank you, Lord, that they would hear the laughter of God. It's not even close to being over. I've never forgotten you. I've not backed off. Call them, Lord, and release them back. Give them victory, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I have nothing to add. Greg, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us and parting to us. Amazing. Everyone, we will have a ministry team over here to pray with you for everything and everything that you would like prayer for. If you are new and you filled out a Connect card, there will be a box on the way out of this room and right at the front door for you to drop in and we can connect with you uh, in the coming days. And be blessed. We love you. We'll see you next week. Good morning, Free Life Church. We're glad you've joined us today. If you are visiting in person, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag and learn more about Free Life Church. We look forward to meeting you. Today, we welcome our dear friend, Greg Haswell, lead pastor of Northlands Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Greg will be our guest speaker today, and we are thankful to have him here. Discovery is coming up on September 25th, 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. here at the church. Please register today as registration is closing soon. Ladies are invited to a social evening of fun and fellowship at the Diaz's home on Friday, September 24th at 7 p.m. Registration is open through September 20th. Ladies, join us for an in-depth study of the armor of God by Priscilla Schreier. It will be on Monday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. starting September 27th and running through November 15th. Check out all of the wonderful events happening in Kids Place. There will be a roller skating day, Kids Place encounter night and fall party, a Leesburg Animal Park adventure, and more. Visit the events page to register your children. The Family Research Council Pray Vote Stand Summit is an event hosted by Cornerstone Chapel on October 6th through 8th. We encourage members of the Free Life Church community to attend this important conference. For complete details and registration, visit prayvotestand.org summit. Free Life Church is hiring for an administrative position. For more information, contact Cynthia Owen. Remember, for more information about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for tuning in.